Yeah. And you touched on one of the one of the things that I've seen time and time again. A lesson isn't learned until something changes. You've got to have a procedure change. You've got to harvest the ideas and get a procedure process or some type of behavior change before that lesson is learned. Otherwise, it's just a lesson that you're going to learn again next time. Welcome to another CI for Life podcast. I am Rick Hyland with RLG International. This is a podcast for those individuals passionate about personal and professional continuous improvement. Our purpose is to provide current and future leaders the mindset, skill set, and tool set to become leaders of continuous performance improvement. Today's topic is organizational learning. It's the new year, which is a great time to focus on how we learn. In today's podcast, we'll focus on the proper mindset, organizational skills, and tools for learning. Building a learning organization must be part of a holistic model of continuous improvement for your organization. So why is it so important to properly learn for your organization? A quote by a philosopher, George Santayana, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So let's learn from it. One of the early pioneers and a great motivation for me and my company of creating a learning organization is Peter Senge. He wrote a masterful book called The Fifth Discipline in which he taught how to develop a learning organization. He defined a learning organization as an organization that is continually expanding its capacity to create its future. He also said, over the long run, superior performance depends on superior learning. I thought that last two comments were particularly insightful. Let me repeat it. An organization that is continually expanding its capacity to create its future. That's what a learning organization is. And he also said, over the long run, superior performance depends on superior learning. How true that is. The interesting question is always how. The implementation, the execution side of this, many companies are struggling to figure out how to successfully develop a culture of learning, which will create uh, perpetual continuous improvement. I'd like to share three key success factors to enhance organizational learning. Please note that these simple three rules of organizational learning are mindset, skill set, and tool set recommendations, and that, as always, solutions that don't drive all three will not drive a sustainable culture of learning. Number one, have the right leadership mindset for learning. It's management and leadership's responsibility to create the culture for learning. Management must create the expectation and the need. As a leader or an influencer on the team, you are If you are not open to criticism or alternative ideas, then turn off this podcast right now. You have zero hope of developing a learning culture. As a team leader or an executive, you have three essential elements, or you should include these three essential elements in your leadership toolkit. Create the expectation that learning events will happen. Number two, be open to learning yourself. Number three, Ask the follow-up questions on what did we learn, how did we learn, and create positive reinforcement for learning. I should add another note. Ensure that you are always learning the truth of what really is happening in the organization. Often there is a huge gap between what the executives think are going on in the organization and what is really happening. Make sure that bad news does travel and truth does travel and reinforce and ask for it and be open and courageous for that. That's the leadership learning formula. The number two key success factor for organizational learning is have the minimal viable skill sets to drive learning. The basic skill sets necessary are collaboration, 
openness and curiosity. These behaviors must be trained, coached, and reinforced regularly. If you have a command and control culture, learning organizations will not work. Stomp out defensiveness. It's a cancer in your organization. It's an organizational curse. Be open to those who will highlight your mistakes, hopefully in a professional and respectful way, and coach so that you can have clarity on what's really going on in the organization. And then number three, key success factor for organizational learning, have a simple but elegant tool set. I would like to highlight one tool that we've had a tremendous amount of success and many of your organizations have as well, and that is the After Action Review or the AAR. After Action Reviews are tools for learning that the military made famous. They are learning events after a mission or a project is completed. There are various methods, but the basic AAR event has four questions. What was expected to happen? What actually happened? What went right and why? and what didn't go well and why. And then there's a couple of coaching notes that I'd give you or key success factors to having effective AARs. Number one, the discussion must start with data. Bring the data so the truth can be discussed. Present the results and the reasons for deviation to plan. Number two, encourage open dialogue and create a safe place for honest discussion without blame. Number three, capture the ideas and actions and put it into your planning documents for the next event. Number four, have a cross-functional team of experts and frontline participants to create the right level of challenge and honesty. If you don't have some of the experts in the room, sometimes you won't get the true honesty or new ideas in the room. There'll be protection of each other. So I think the right combination of uh, experts or functional experts and frontline participants are key to creating the right level of challenge and honesty. And as always, expert facilitation so the truth can be told and captured is critical. I've asked Carlos Gambio and Scott McKenzie to join us to share some after-action review ideas and real-life organizational learning examples. Carlos is with Shell and has more than 38 years of experience across several countries leading projects and turnaround teams and has both upstream and downstream experience. And Scott McKenzie is a vice president and business unit leader for RLG International in Europe. Scott, Carlos, welcome to the podcast and where do I find you both today? Yeah, thanks, Rick. It's Scott here. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm in Edinburgh in Scotland. Beautiful. Thank you. Carlos? Uh, thanks, Rick. Uh, I am in Texas at the moment, waiting for my next assignment, which will be in South Africa. Oh, very exciting. Love South Africa, and good luck to, Good luck with that. And so, um, gentlemen, let's go right to the subject at hand. Um, really love to hear your insights into this. Uh, you were both involved in a complex mega turnaround earlier this year. And I know you both have a passion for organizational learning. So, Carlos, let me uh, start with you and ask to share a little bit more context about the event we'll be talking about. Uh, sure, Rick. Well, listen, uh, in the in the shell world, you know, we tend to uh, define turnarounds in terms of complexity, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, going all the way from low complexity to mega complexity events. And in this case, this event was categorized as a mega complexity event with, uh, you know, well over 800,000 direct fee labor hours and, you know, well over 20% capital project uh, in the in the execution of the turnaround as well. So, uh, yeah, it involved in a, a, a complex ethylene cracker in the, in the Netherlands. 
Oh, very good. Thanks for sharing that background. Scott, anything else you want to share about the background of the event? Uh, yeah, I just might, might add one thing, Rick, and that is uh, Carlos was overseeing this, uh, and it included you know a lot of contracting uh, people, uh, three main lead contractors, plus a whole bunch of specialists col uh, for columns, or rotating equipment, cold insulation, et cetera. So it was, uh, yeah, organizationally very complex as well. Very good. Thanks for sharing that. And so, Carlos, I understand that you have been a longtime believer in organizational learning and the power of after-action reviews. Can you share with us how you developed the passion and your experience with after-action reviews? Yeah, absolutely, Rick. Well, listen, I think that uh, it's almost impossible not to be part of an event like this or any turnaround for that matter without uh, without learnings. And uh, I think that learnings begin with with reflection, right? So I'm a firm believer in reflecting on how things went versus the objectives and then trying to understand with the entire team, you know, what are the key areas uh, to drive, you know, improvement in the future, okay? So, uh, yeah, so certainly I think that uh, that's, uh, that's a key area of, uh, of continuous improvement, looking back, okay, and understanding how performance went versus plans. You know, and I tell you that uh, I, have, I have had the... Uh, I mean, I've had the, you know, I guess uh, the luck to be part of events that uh, had uh, really good learnings from previous turnarounds on the same unit and were put to good use. And it's amazing the change that it drove in mm. performance, you know, once those were understood and most importantly put into real actions. Yeah, I really like that. I like your term reflection as well. I think that uh, shows a lot of intent of what we're trying to do. So. Um, Scott, can you give us some more background on how you guys used after-action reviews on this event? Uh, yeah, Rick. So um, a couple things that happened were, for, first off, Carlos did a, a very good job of setting expectations right up at the beginning of the event that we were going to be capturing learnings throughout the event using real-time lessons learned as well as a formal structured after-action review with people who were involved in, in the event afterwards. And that would be both internal and external stakeholders and, and participants in the event. Um, so with the after action review set up, uh, there were um, four workshops held at the conclusion of the event, you know, okay. kind of within 30 to 60 days after the event uh, was done. So we caught things when they were fresh in people's minds. Um, and over three days, people were brought together in a very structured way to focus on individual areas, um, 13 or more key areas that Carlos and the team knew were going to be rich in learnings. Uh, and so um, we had more than 40 people contributing and uh, close to 80 uh, ideas coming forth that then will be harvested for future future use. And this included both things that uh, we could learn from that didn't go as planned or didn't go the way we wanted and, and maybe we can do something different but also things that did go well because there's some rich learning there oh, as well good. and how do you how do you repeat that uh, so that somebody who might not have been involved with this particular turnaround can still learn from that experience and take it on to another or, or the next turnaround. Ooh, thanks for sharing all that data about the turnaround. Just on the four workshops was it did you how did you determine what those four were was it by unit or by area, or what was the breakdown of the four? Yeah, maybe I can take that, okay, uh, thanks, Scott. Charles. So, Rick, uh, listen, the uh, the uh, workshops were, the initial workshops were set up to um, do the reflection, you know, at, the, let's say, the functional group level, meaning 
engineering okay. or technology or operations, right, to be able to look at the individual contributors to the turnaround, as well as the turnaround team itself, if you would. And okay. then in the last workshop, we brought everybody together with uh, basically an output of the work that they had already done to just align, you know, as a steering team on what we would be taking forward as things to be worked on in preparation for the next event. So these events happen every six years, you know, so yeah. 2025 will be our next opportunity to take all these learnings for them from the cracker and put them to use. As, and of course, as well for other smaller turnarounds that take place in Mordak in the meantime. Right. Yeah, and I did have a thank you for that clarity, uh, Carlos. That makes a lot of sense. So, Scott or Carlos, what what about, um, did you get any breakdown on the actions? You, I think you said, Scott, 80 ideas. Uh, are, are those all for the next ethylene cracker, or are they going to help the next turnaround on site in a different unit, or was there any breakdown or ideas about that? Yeah, mm, I, I should... I can probably answer that as well, Eric. And the answer is yes. You know, so uh, out of uh, you know out of the look back, we came up with uh, came up with a number of themes that are common to turnarounds uh, at Mordike and perhaps even outside of Mordike, and uh, uh, to drive improvement on the, as a site. You know, and yep. uh, but there are some things that are very specific to the ethylene cracker. You know, because sometimes doing a turnaround in a specific type of process unit, uh, it requires that type of focus. Yeah. Okay, very good. And then one last question just on the logistics or mechanical side on how you make this work. I read a book over the Christmas holidays. So they called it Lessons Recorded, and then once they were actually implemented into the system, they called it Lessons Learned, and I thought that was a good distinction, <laughs> the difference between actually just capturing the AD ideas and then either putting it in the the uh, database for the next turnaround or into the procedures? How do, how do you make these lessons actually learned and so it'll be picked up next time? Yeah, very, very good, Rick. You know, so listen, uh, so um, out, of these, uh, out of these themes, right, uh, we came up with topics that require, really require deeper, deeper dives, right? Mm -hmm. A bit more causal learning to really generate the true actions that needed to be put in place to drive improvement and uh, each of the refinery or in this case the petrochemical site leadership team members owns these specific items that require further okay. look back or deeper dive okay so they have a timeline to be able to finish up all the deeper dives in this uh, upcoming January and uh, and then the remaining items that are not deeper dives are just go-do items that are defined or assigned based on functions, right? So there might be some things that are specific to the turnaround team members to improve, you know, or there might be some things that are specific to technology or in, in engineering as most turnarounds, uh, the integrity department, in other words, inspections, always plays a big part of uh, the types of scopes that we do to, you know, make sure we maintain the reliability and safety of the plants, you know, so they got some things that uh, they need to go improve for the next event as well. Mm, that sounds like a very robust process. Thank you. So let me ask you another question, Carlos, and maybe, Scott, you could comment after. But, Carlos, how would you describe the benefit of these learning events for the people involved and for the organization? And then the other part of the question has to do with, 
you know, leadership, how important that is to encourage learning, what the leaders have to do to encourage learning and the closing of those lessons learned and after action reviews. Could you comment on the benefit and the leader's role? Yeah, yeah. Listen, Rick, so, I mean, really, I would say that uh, uh, turnarounds are, you know, certainly it was for me as a young professional, one of uh, the best opportunities to uh, to gain experience, right? You know, yeah. so there is you get exposed to so many things in a, in a, with a, with a short duration, you know, and you're really you learn about leadership and you learn about action, you know, making decisive, you know, actions or decisions, I should say. I'm sorry, and so I think for engineers, young engineers primarily, that come in and have a chance to be part of these turnarounds is a it's a wealth of learning for them yeah. to go through, and then for them to be able to take part of a lessons learned. Or look back session in the back and, and like I said, reflect on what those are and why they are, you know, items that need improvement and uh, as related to the uh, expected outcomes, let's say, and how they may or may not have influenced that expected outcome. It's really a, a great opportunity and you can see it, you know, the energy in the room is, um, uh-huh. is amazing. You know, these kids are really willing to put cards on the table and as a leader, you know, our job is to, you know, to really foster that that uh, open communications and, uh, yes. uh, you know, I call it no, no sacred cows, right? Just put it right. on the table and then let's talk through it and let's see what, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's behind it, right? So that we can truly understand how we can uh, get it resolved. And sometimes it's fairly simple. It's just, uh, you know, small procedural items, small organizational improvements, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they need a bit deeper dive, you know, to really, to really uh, get to a point where you can drive the change. Eh? Oh, well said, well said. And it's sometimes difficult to get that open communication. I'm, I'm very pleased to hear you working on that and doing that and feeling the energy of uh, the young professionals in participating in that. So, Scott, any insights from you on the both the benefit side and the leadership side? Yeah, I would add one thing on the benefit side for sure, and it ties in with the idea of this accelerates, having after-action reviews accelerates somebody's experience. So you have somebody who's young, they might have been only involved in a small part of, for example, a turnaround, but then they sit in an event like this and get to hear direct observations and conclusions from somebody who was involved in the bigger part of the turnaround or other parts of the turnaround. They can start to put it all together like a puzzle. And I think that just helps them with their experience level tremendously as they go through each of these events. Yeah. And you touched on one of the one of the things that I've seen time and time again. A lesson isn't learned until something changes. You've got right. to have a procedure change. You've got to harvest the ideas and get a procedure process or some type of behavior change before that lesson is learned. Otherwise, it's just a lesson that you're going to learn again next time. Very yeah, good. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, I really appreciate your time today, but let me ask you one more question and maybe back out of this event in particular. If you were coaching another organization to create a learning culture, how would you advise them to get started? Carlos, can I start with you on that? You know, um, yeah, I certainly can, Rick. You know, I think uh, in the end, you know, uh, learning, you know, has to be, it has to have an end in mind, meaning uh, 
the organization looking internally to see where they need to improve, they need to have some some metrics, right? They need to have some KPIs. They need to have some performance indicators that they're trying to achieve and uh, and see how well they're doing against uh, uh, achieving those indicators. And then if there's a gap, you know, trying to understand the whys behind that gap, right? So, uh, and then... Um, and then, yeah, after that, it's really just, just fostering, you know, really fostering that open dialogue regarding learnings, right? So organizations that uh, don't let that open dialogue to take place probably leave a lot of things behind that should be surfaced but end up not being surfaced because people are not comfortable speaking up. Yeah, well said. Really like that thought, Carlos. Thank you. And Scott, anything you'd add to the same question? Uh, boy, that was a good summary by Carlos. Yeah. I would maybe maybe add the especially for the leadership. There's got to be at least three things in place. There's got to be an expectation that they set and drive because people will learn as individuals, but they won't learn as a company or an organization unless the leadership is driving that. Mm -hmm. In my view, uh, the second thing is they've got to have a structure to it, just like Carlos did. You know, at the end of the some event, sit people down and have them go through a structured conversation that includes data. And um, I guess the last thing is behaviors. You've, you've got to have the right openness and willingness to share vulnerabilities in a conversation uh, for people to really do some deep learning. And um, it, without that, it'll just be superficial. So I think if you have those three things, that's, that's an excellent place to start for anybody. Oh, wow. Gentlemen, great summary. Great insights. I really appreciate your time today and sharing these insights about deep learning and creating an organizational culture. So didn't Scott and Carlos do a great job at a real life example, busy, intense turnaround event on at their refinery and their location, and they still took time to learn. Uh, everybody was probably exhausted and ready to move on, but they had uh, different workshops and make sure that they captured the learning for that event and future events. You could really tell that Carlos, this wasn't his first uh, capture of After Action Review and a learning organization. It's really happy that we're able to get him, Scott, on. And uh, so to summarize and, and provide a bit of a conclusion to this podcast, I, I really do recommend that you take time and have a plan to develop a learning organization. And a great start is an after-action review. I recommend that after every time-based event or every project that you have an after-action review within two weeks before all the learnings are lost. It doesn't help to have it a couple months later because then we lose data information and learnings. Not learning at real time is just too expensive. One final story just to illustrate the importance of after-action reviews. One of our subject matter experts, Chris Miller, retired project director at Chevron, and Mick McGuire, an RLG team leader, told me a great story on, story on the value of after-action reviews. The traditional learning curve in projects in manufacturing is about 20%, and on train two, after they finished train one, um, this was an Australia big mega capital project, they did a number of after-action reviews to learn really dug into this concept of organizational learning. And on train two, when they commissioned their second LNG train, they achieved a 66% learning curve versus the 20 that is norm. And it all started with after action reviews. 
The after action review was the catalyst for millions of dollars of benefit to the organization. Now, go implement, good luck, create that learning culture. This has been another Continuous Improvement for Life podcast with Rick Hyland with RLG International. For more information and examples of after action reviews, you can go to our RLG website uh, and click on uh, under news and insights and you can find some more information on after action reviews. I'll provide the actual link in the podcast notes for those that want to see more detail. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with me. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.